You're about to listen to a message by Pastor Ogi Ogui, the lead pastor of Circle Church International. He envisions all men living Christ-centered lives. Be blessed as you listen. Alright, so um, we started last month to talk about... Um, we started from the book of Hebrews, but... And we're studying from the book of Hebrews... And we've been studying from the book of Hebrews. Um, and we've, we've covered some ground. Last week we discussed one of the most difficult things to discuss in the body of Christ. Um, reprobacy. And today we want to discuss one that is unbelievably more difficult <laughs> than last week's. We want to talk about, uh, we want to read Hebrews 7, alright? And um, you cannot pretend that um, you cannot pretend when you get to Hebrews seven that you did not see Melchizedek's story. So somehow I have to teach you who Melchizedek is. That's not something that you find everywhere. A lot of theologians are confused about it. But I think that if we stick to what we have learned about proper Bible interpretation, we should be able to arrive at a conclusion. Alright, so this is kind of like, we'll do it together, okay? But before I talk about Melchizedek, I want to talk about the importance of knowledge, or the usefulness of knowledge. Because we live in an arrogant time, where people now talk down on other people because of what they know. Do you understand? So there's no other time where the scripture knowledge puffs up has been more fulfilled than this time. You see people call other people names because they know and those people don't know. Do you understand? So, especially on Twitter. You cannot have a sane argument anymore. You are very stupid. I, I pity the person that gave birth to you just because I said something that's wrong. Like, it's not very nice. But why do we emphasize on the teaching of revelation knowledge? Why do we emphasize on the right doctrine? The reason is this. Accurate doctrine provides clarity. Let me rephrase that. Clarity in doctrine is clarity in purpose. Do you understand? Clarity in doctrine... Is clarity in purpose. If, and when, when we talked about purpose, I taught you this, I told you that the purpose of your life is to know Christ and to make him known. Right? If we are to live our lives for Christ, then we have to do it the right way. Do you understand? And that's how we get, that's where doctrine is important. Right prayer only comes from right doctrine. Right worship only comes from right doctrine. Do you get that? So why do, we, why do we pay so much attention? In fact, your relationship with God can only be as good as your doctrine is. Praise the Lord. So you have a lot of people who are accepted and beloved by God, but don't believe they are because wrong doctrine. Do you understand what I'm saying? So they've been accepted, God loves them, but because they didn't give their tithe last month, they think God is at loggerheads with them. 
or things are going wrong in their life and then they're like, mm, I was told that if I don't give my tithe, things will be tight. So, you know, God is, at, God is doing this to me. So, clarity in doctrine is clarity in purpose. Clarity in doctrine is clarity in relationship. And so, you must start to see doctrine as a tool for reformation. Not a tool for pride and advertisement. That is to show that you know. Praise the Lord. So you've learned what it should be. You find somebody saying what it is not. See it as a tool for reformation. So you start thinking, how do I effectively correct this person without insulting the person and bringing the person to a place of proper knowledge? Do you understand? So you're going for reformation, not destruction. Praise the Lord. Another thing is, see it as a tool of reformation, but not as a tool of information gathering. Some people just want to know so that they can say they know. Have people asked you questions that you are like, if I answer this question, what will you use it to do? Who did came marry? If you know, what will it do for you? Will it affect your relationship with God? Will it change your, uh, state, your salvation status? No. So what's the point of the question? Some questions I don't answer deliberately. When you ask me, oh, Pastor, okay, so, 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 I'm like, okay. If I tell you the answer to this question, what do you use it for? Are you just asking me so you gather information? The reason why this is important is this. If the reason why you're going after doctrine is to gather information, you will gather Information in both the ones that are important and the ones that are not. And you will treat all of them as information gathered. That will now make whatever you have gathered not to have effects in your life. Do you understand? So even the ones that should be having effects in your life, you don't treat it as a, a tool of reformation. You, you treat it as information. I've gotten information. So That's why you will meet people who... Um, Pray some certain kinds of prayers and you want to stop them and say, no, no. You can't pray that way anymore. You say, I understand what you are saying. I've heard it before. They even give you scriptural backing for what you are saying. But it's not changing their own lives. Why? Because when they were listening, they were listening to gather information. But they were not listening as a tool of reformation. What they were listening to was not reforming their lives. Praise the Lord. Commonly, one of the questions I always answer with, why do you want to know, is who is Melchizedek? The reason why I'm teaching it today is because I cannot skip. I, cannot, I, owe, it, I, I owe it to the Bible to be faithful to the text. Do you understand? If we've done Hebrews 5, 6, we must do Hebrews 7. Praise the Lord. And that's the only reason why I'm teaching it. To, normally, if you ask me, I'll say, if you know, how does it change your life? How does it affect you? Praise Jesus. Anyway, we have a lot of ground to cover. This is one of those Sundays where you will write a lot. Hebrews chapter 7 verse 1. Have I told you guys that I missed you guys when I traveled to Patakot? Yeah. 
Some of you miss me more than others, but it's fine. Some of you did not even call me once to say, ah, Pastor, how was your trip? When I traveled, see, I traveled by road. I got there by road. Then I planned that I'll come back by road to, you know, take night's bus after the meeting. And by the way, the meeting was awesome. We had, there was somebody who's, who had high blood pressure who was healed instantly. The meeting was awesome. We had amazing testimonies in the meeting. But after the meeting, I was like, okay, so I'll just go to the park. I'll just go to the park and enter bus. And every single person I told that I was going to enter bus told me that I would die. <laughs> They're like, ah, don't do it, though. Don't enter bus because you'll be dead. They will kidnap you. Um, they, will be, they will shoot you. There's nothing I'm not here. So I quite just use my money to go and pay for flights. Because I'm not afraid of death. It's not like I'm afraid of death, too. It's just that I don't want to die. <laughs> All right, Hebrews chapter 7, verse 1. Are you there? It says, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of kings and blessed him. Now, before you move forward, when you see the word for, what do you do? You check what was before. So you don't just look at, when he says for this Melchizedek, he's talking about something he already said talking about before. Is that true? Yeah. Great. So um, where did the writer of Hebrews actually start talking about Melchizedek? He wasn't in Hebrews 6. It was Hebrews 5. How many of you remember? In fact, Hebrews 6 was a deviation from his message. In Hebrews 5, um, go to Hebrews 5.10. Hebrews 5.10. Okay, go back to verse 9. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Next verse. Called to God and high priest after the order of Melchizedek. This was the first time he mentioned this name. Alright? Next verse. See why he now deviated. Of whom we have many things to say. So, who is the whom he's talking about? Melchizedek, right? Says, of whom we have many things to say and had to be uttered, seeing you are dull of hearing. So he now entered into that whole talk of how you are dull of hearing. You should not be reprobate. Don't behave like a reprobate. Do you understand everything we did in chapter 6 last week? So now, he has finished deviating. He now wants to return back to his message. Do you understand? But in Hebrews 5.10, you open Bible. I'm going to confuse some people. Hebrews 5.10. <laughs> it says, called of God after an high priest, after the order of Melchizedek. How did the writer of Hebrews know this? He wasn't just speaking arbitrarily. Right? Which means he must have been quoting an Old Testament text. Do you understand? Remember, I told you when I was teaching you, how many Sundays ago? I can't even keep count anymore. The Old Testament is in the New Testament. And the New Testament is in the Old Testament. So when you want to interpret the Old Testament, where do you go to? Good. Which means that many times, the New Testament contains portions of the Old Testament. Listen. Which means, what you read in Hebrews 5, 6, 7, is an interpretation of this Old Testament text. Do you understand? Do you understand? Do you understand? Which means, you don't treat... Hebrews 5, 6, 7 as the subject. You treat it as the interpretation of the subject. Praise the Lord. You don't understand. If, if, if a man comes up to you and says something in Yoruba, he says a whole statement in Yoruba, 
You know there's a difference between interpretation and translation. Translation means that you translate what he said in Yoruba word for word. But interpretation is I listen to what he said in Yoruba and I tell you the meaning of what he said. Do you get? That's if I understand Yoruba and you don't. So when you want to examine what is going on, if you really want to examine in depth, you don't examine what I interpreted. You don't treat what I interpreted as the object of examination. You go to what he said. In now examine it word for word. You translate first. You understand what he now then you now tally with the interpretation. Do you understand? <sighs> I told you I'll confuse you today. <laughs> All right, Psalm, Psalms chapter one ten. Psalms chapter one hundred and ten. Let's just go to where he quoted from. Woo! When I finish teaching you, now that's what I was saying about interpretation and object of interpretation. Alright, look at this. Uh-uh. <laughs> Alright. The Lord said unto my Lord, sit down at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. Next verse. The Lord shall send the rod of thy strength out of Zion. Rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. Next verse. Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power, in the beauties of holiness from the womb of the morning, thou hast the, thou hast the dew of thy youth. Verse 4. The Lord has sworn and will not repent, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So now, this is David prophesying. Remember Hebrews chapter 1, long ago, God spoke to the fathers through the prophets, in various ways and in various times and in various manners. Do you understand? Now, so this is David prophesying. So what we want to do is we want to understand what David was prophesying about. Go back to verse 1. Now, the Lord said unto my Lord, Sit down at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. Was this explained anywhere in the New Testament? Yes. Peter quoted it. Who remembers in Acts chapter 2? Peter quoted this and explained it. So we'll go to Peter. So can you hear what Peter has to say? Praise the Lord. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 verse 34. There's no waste time. Okay, look at this. You know what? Go to verse 30. Let's start from verse 30. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn an oath to him, that of the fruit of his loins, talking about David, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. Verse 31. He, seeing this before, spoke of the resurrection of Christ. That his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. Hold on. Now, here Peter is quoting another of David's prophecies. Where he said, you will not allow my soul to rust in Hades, neither will you let my flesh see corruption. Do you understand? So he quotes it here and he says, that is a reference to the resurrection of Christ. Do you understand? Next verse. This Jesus has God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. So what is the subject of Peter's preaching? The resurrection of Christ. Is that true? Next verse. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received 
of the Father, the promise of the Holy Ghost. He has set forth this, which you now see and hear. Hold on. When he says, being by the right hand of God exalted, what does he mean? He means that God has resurrected Jesus Christ. Because God has resurrected Jesus Christ, and um, Jesus has given the promise of the Holy Ghost, he has set forth this. What is this? The speaking in tongues they were doing. Which you now see and hear. Do you understand? Next verse. For, which means whatever he's saying here is tied to what he has been saying since. Is that correct? For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand, till I make thine enemies thy footstool. He was quoting Psalm 110 verse 1. So, in Psalm 110 verse 1, when David was saying, sit down at my right hand, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit down at my right hand, till I make thine enemies thy footstool. David was prophesying the resurrection of Jesus Christ. How do I know? In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1 Corinthians 15, <laughs> verse 55, okay, he says, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? Next verse. Ah, that means it's before this place. Where Paul says the last enemy to be defeated is death. Do you understand? So when um, David was quoting and he said, um, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit down at my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. That enemy that was to be made his footstool was death. Do you follow? And so in resurrecting, Jesus was already seated at the right hand and, the, and his enemies have been made his footstool. So a... Um, Psalm 110 is a prophecy of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Do you follow? Now, if in verse 1, he said talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, verse 2, verse 3, and verse 4 also follow the same pattern. Which means, when David said that the Lord has, he has sworn that you are a high priest after the order of Melchizedek, he was making reference to the resurrection of Christ. Praise the Lord. Now let's go back to Hebrews 5. I just wanted us to examine where the writer of Hebrews quoted from. Before we now go and read the interpretation. So you can see why the writer of Hebrews said what he said. He didn't just interpret it arbitrarily. He followed the process that we've just followed. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 10. Now go back two verses. Though he were a son, I've taught you this before, but though he were a son, he learned obedience by the things he suffered. Next verse. Everybody read verse 9, 1 to go. And being made perfect, he became salvation unto all them that obey him. Hold on. What does he mean by being made perfect? In verse um, verse 8, he said he learned obedience by the things he suffered. The suffering there would refer to his death, right? Yes. Great. So the perfection, the completing of that suffering will refer to what? His resurrection. Great. So being made perfect because he's risen, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. And we've talked about how that word obey means what? Faith. Do you, who remembers? Who remembers? Great. Now, next verse. Called of God. Okay, go back to verse 9. Let's, let me show you something in verse 9 before we get here. Be made perfect. He became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. What is the, um, what do they call those things? Punctuation after obey him. 
semicolon, which means I'm about to continue my thoughts. Do you follow? Do you follow? So next verse. Called of God and high priest after the order of Melchizedek. So whatever he's saying, when he says Jesus is called of God and high priest after the order of Melchizedek, is tied to the fact that he was risen. So why is he calling Jesus a high priest after the order of Melchizedek? He now goes on to explain in chapter 7. Do you follow now? Do you follow? Good. So now let's go to chapter 7 verse 1. For this Melchizedek, so he wants to make, he now wants to explain Melchizedek, his thoughts to you. Why Melchizedek? Why are we talking about Melchizedek? Now, before I talk about this, let me explain this. I told you at the beginning of our study of the book of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews wrote the book of Hebrews to a doubting audience. A doubting Jewish audience. And the book of Hebrews was written to persuade them. And so the writer of Hebrews did something very smart. And let me just punctuate my thoughts by saying this. In your evangelism, be systematic and be tactical. Don't just go and be talking anyhow. (laughs) Alright? You can see it in what the writer of Hebrews did in chapter 1. He started from the beginning. Jesus is greater than angels. Jesus is greater than Moses. He has discussed Jesus against Moses so long. He now wants to talk about Jesus' priesthood as a better priesthood than the Levitical priesthood. Do you understand? He wants to establish that Jesus Christ is a better high priest than any of the Levites that were high priests. That's where he's going into from here now. He has been calling Jesus our great high priest since. For you do not have a high priest that is untouched by the things that you're going through. He has been, go- he has been calling Jesus our great high priest since. Now he wants to establish that Jesus is actually a high priest. David prophesied it. But he's a better high priest than the Levites. Now, under the Jewish system, there was only one system of high priests. The Levitical high priest. Aaron and his descendants. You see, but before Aaron was born, before Moses was born, in the book of Genesis, the Bible said that as Abraham was returning from the slaughter of kings, he met a certain high priest on the road and blessed him. That high priest was Melchizedek. He gave a tenth to that high priest. Now, because that high priest precedes or is greater or you know what? Let me not get ahead of myself. The writer of Hebrews explains better what I want to say. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 1. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the most high God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. Next verse. To whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being by interpretation king of righteousness. So Melchizedek means king of righteousness. Do you understand? First being by interpretation king of righteousness, and after that also king of Salem, which is king of peace. Now a lot of people have read that, ah, that means Melchizedek was God. Hold on. Don't rush into it. He's <laughs> there now, he's the king of peace. Who else is the king of peace? He's not God. Eh? But don't rush into it. Calm down. Next verse. <laughs> Without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life. Eh, eh, it's God. 
but made like unto the Son of God, abideth a priest continually. So you get confused. Who is this guy? Without father, without mother, having neither the son of days, having neither the beginning of days, nor end of life. He now says, but made like unto the Son of God, abideth a priest forever. Hold on. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, did he have father and mother? Did he have father and mother? Great. So when he said, made like unto the Son of God, it doesn't mean that um, he didn't have a literal father and mother. He must have been referring to something else. Because everybody that came into this world, including Christ, have father and mother. <laughs> right? Right? Now, if Melchizedek was God, he could not have been called high priest of God. Abraham met God and we knew. Do you understand? Um, the Bible says that Abraham entertained angels and they told us that they were angels. The Bible was clear on those things. He now comes there and calls him king of Salem, king of peace, king of this, king of righteousness. He's making reference to something else. Praise the Lord. First of all, uh, now consider how great this man was unto whom even the patriarch Abraham gave the tenth of the spoils. So the writer of Hebrews, this guy is very intelligent. Very intelligent. It's like, consider how great he is. Your father Abraham, the person that you say is the source of all your greatness, gave him a tenth of the spoils. So Abraham went to fight, came back, saw this guy and gave him a tenth. Consider how great he is. Next verse. And verily, mm, they that are of the sons of Levi, who receive the office of the priesthood, have a commandment to take tithes of the people according to the law. That is, of their brethren, though they come out of the loins of Abraham. Can you see what he's trying to do? So he's like, see, let me explain something to you. Oh, Melchizedek is so great that Abraham gave him tithes. But, you see this, your Levites, a priest, according to the Lord, they should be collecting tithes. But they were in Abraham's loins when Abraham gave this guy tithes. So next verse. But he whose descent is not counted from them received the tithes of Abraham and blessed him that had the promises. Next verse. And without all contradiction, the less is best of the better. We'll come back to this. Next verse. And here men that die receive tithes, but there he received them of whom it is witnessed that he liveth. Next verse. For he was yet in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. Next verse. Uh. If therefore, if therefore perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should arise after the order of Melchizedek and not be called after the order of Aaron? So, all this guy has been trying to say since is this. We know that you rely on Aaron's laws, Aaron's priesthood, to be made perfect before God. But consider... That there was a guy, high priest, who was not born after the lineage of Aaron. Who Abraham gave tithes to. And not just that he was not born after the lineage of Aaron. Before Aaron was born, Abraham gave tithes. And Aaron came from the lineage of Abraham. Which means implicitly, Aaron gave tithes to this guy. So, his own priesthood has to be higher than the priesthood of the Levites. Do you understand? Raise your hand if you follow. That's the argument he was positing. Do you get? Next verse. 
For the priesthood being changed, there is, uh, there is made of necessity a change also of the law. So now, he has now come here to say that if God promised that there is a high priest after the order of Melchizedek, which means that if God promised a new priesthood in the middle of the Aaronic priesthood, it means that he was going to do away with the Aaronic priesthood. Who is following? Which means if the Aaronic priesthood must change, then the laws must change too. Very intelligent, right? Very, very intelligent. But we haven't still answered. Why did he say that he was a high priest? Jesus was a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. So let's go back to verse 1 and 2. This teaching is actually not very long. It's very short. (laughs) For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham, returning from his lot of kings and blessed him. Next verse. To whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being by interpretation king of righteousness, and after that king of Salem, which is king of peace. Next verse. Without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made unto, made like unto the Son of God, abideth a priest forever. You see, this is where the confusion is. Who is he? He had no father. He had no mother. Is that really what it means? No. You see, according to the Jewish law, there was a book. Alright? In that book, they recorded the genealogy of the high priests. Do you understand? They recorded the genealogy of the high priests. So, um, in Deuteronomy, um, there was an instance of these two people who were vying for the, the office of the high priest. But they had to be done away with because they didn't know who their mother was. Do you get? So, they were like, because they don't have any mother, their lineage is stained. Because to be a part of the high priest, you must come from pure high priest, pure priesthood. Your father and your mother must be from the tribe of Levi you get for you to qualify to be a high priest do you understand so when he says without father without mother without descent it doesn't mean he was not born it means there's no record of his birth in that book do you follow do you follow he now says no um neither having beginning of days nor end of life within that book also they recorded in fact in fact this is how you know when you read the book of genesis you see, and so 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 person begat so 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 person, and so so person, and so so person lived so so number of years, then died. Right? But you don't have any of that for Melchizedek. Not because he wasn't born or he did not die, but because we didn't know where he came from. Do you understand? Do you understand? So now, this person saying, this is his argument. You don't know him. You don't know where he came from. You don't know whether he has died. We shall know that Abraham met him and he blessed God. And he blessed him and gave him a tithe. And Abraham called him a high priest of God. Do you understand? Because we don't know whether he has died. We don't have... Now, of course he knows that he died. But we don't have any proof of his death. Which means his high priesthood is based on the power of an endless life. Because... Melchizedek. Now, he knows that Melchizedek is dead. Everybody knows that Melchizedek is dead. But there's no record of his death. So, the point he was making was, just as Christ is high priest based on the power of an endless life, based on resurrection, he is a high priest after the order of Melchizedek, in in the light or in the sense that Melchizedek has no record of death. Do you follow? So he's just saying, he's not saying that Melchizedek never died. 
He's saying we don't have a record of his death. So as far as we know, he's alive. <laughs> that, he's just playing smart. Do you understand? There's, I, I read physics. and There's this question. It's called Schrodinger's cat. Who knows the question? Um, if you put a cat in a box with poisoned milk and you close the box, is the cat dead or alive? And then um, Heisenberg's uncertainty principle says that um, you, every state, everything remains in a dual... Sorry, I'm teaching you physics. Every, everything remains in dual state until observed. Do you get? That's, this guy is just playing smart around that idea. We don't know. We know he has died as a human being, but we don't have a record. So he's alive. <laughs> That's what he's doing. Do you understand? So he's not saying that Melchizedek never lived or never died. Or, In fact, the point that they've been trying to make, if you followed from chapter 5, was Jesus is perfected, which means he's risen. Therefore, he's the source of eternal salvation to all those who obey him. So based on his resurrection, he can be our high priest. Do you understand? Now, when he now says he's made a high priest after the death of Melchizedek, He's now saying, just like we don't have a record of Melchizedek being dead, there's no record of Jesus being dead. So he continues to be high priest. In fact, he goes on from chapter 7 to now talk about how every high priest is high priest till he dies. But we have a high priest. You know what? Let me not get ahead of myself. The basic point of all of this is, in fact, look at the ending part of this verse. No end of life, but made like unto the Son of God. Do you see the difference? Before, they've been saying Jesus is a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. But now he corrects it. He's made like unto the Son of God. So, Melchizedek was a typification of the high priesthood of Jesus Christ. Do you understand? Was he a human being? Yes. He was a man like you and me. Did he die? Yes. Nobody had eternal life before Christ came. Not even Melchizedek. <laughs> Amen? Was he born by a man and a woman? Yes. Jesus was born by a woman. Please. Do you understand? But he was a type. God put his story there as a type to show the high priesthood of Christ later. Do you understand? So just like there is no record of this man's death, there will be no record of, your, of Christ's death. His high priesthood will be a high priesthood based on the power of an endless life. An eternal life. Do you understand? So, the high priest in the Levitical priesthood was high priest till he dies. After he has died, somebody else will take over. Do you understand? And will have to start carrying out purification of sins for himself and for everybody. But because we now have a high priest that does not die. Do you understand? The one purification he carried out at the beginning is still lit till now. Do you get that? That's the point he's trying to make. So he now goes on to say in verse 13. Right, let's go to verse 13. He says, For he of whom these things are spoken pertaineth to another tribe, of which no man gave attendance at the altar. You know what? Let's start from verse 10. So you guys are not confused. For he was yet in the loins of his father. He's talking about Aaron now. Aaron was in the loins of his father, Abraham, when Melchizedek met him. So he's saying that Melchizedek met Aaron. But Aaron was inside Abraham. Which means Aaron was a smaller boy than Melchizedek. So the Levitical priesthood is inferior to Melchizedek. You get next verse. If there 
care for perfection whereby the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law. What further need was there that another priest should rise after the order of Melchizedek? Great. And not be called after the order of Aaron. I mean, why was Jesus, why was it that there will be the high priest after the order of Melchizedek? Why not Aaron? What happened to Aaron's? So he's saying that God is saying that Aaron's priesthood is not okay. Do you get? That's what he's trying to say. Next verse. For the priesthood being changed, there is made of necessity a change also of the law. So what he's saying is, if Aaron's priesthood changed, and under Aaron's priesthood the law came, once it has changed, the law also has to change. Next verse. For he of whom these things are spoken pertaineth to another tribe, of which no man gave attendance at the altar. Next verse. For it is evident that our Lord sprang out of Judah, of which tribe Moses spake nothing concerning priesthood. So he's saying that our Lord Jesus is the person that we've been talking about since. That's after the order of Melchizedek. But he did not even come from the Levites. He came from Judah. A tribe concerning which there was no priesthood. Do you get? Next verse. And it is yet far more evident for that after the similitude of Melchizedek, there ariseth another priest. Next verse. Who is made not after the law of a carnal commandment, but everybody read one to go, but after the power of an endless... This is the point. Do you get that? The priest after the order of Melchizedek is made after the power of an endless life. Do you understand? So, the reason why he said about Melchizedek in verse 3 that he had neither beginning of days nor end of life is so that he will come here and say that the priest is after the order of, after the power of an endless life. Praise the Lord. Next verse. For he testified, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. He's quoting from Psalm 110. Next verse. For the law made nothing perfect, but the in of a better hope deeds. Did you see that? The law made nothing perfect. See, make no mistakes. Even if you successfully keep all the Ten Commandments, you are not perfect. Do you understand? Even at the keeping of all Ten Commandments, you are not perfect. It wasn't designed to make you perfect. If you keep the Ten Commandments and all 632 laws of Moses, you are still not perfect. It wasn't designed to make you perfect. He says, the law, for the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did, by the which we draw nigh unto God. So, you would have never drawn closer to God by the law. Listen to me. Every attempt to reach God by impressing him in good deeds is futile. Do you understand? Any attempt to reach God by trying to impress him with your good deeds is futile. He says, by which we draw, we draw near to God with the hope that is better, not the law. The law made nothing perfect. The law made nothing good. Do you understand what I'm saying? When God created Adam and called him good, Adam had done nothing. Do you understand? It was before Adam said the word, did anything that God called him good. So, when God calls a thing good, it is never based on what that thing has done. 
Why? Because whatever that thing does that that thing thinks is good is done by the power of God and the ability of God in that thing. So when God declares a man righteous, when God calls a man good, it is never because that man did good. No man can truly do good before God. See, Nicodemus came to Jesus and called him good teacher. And Jesus asked him, why do you call me good? No man is good except God. Jesus said this. Why? Because you need to understand that God's standard of measurement is not performance. God measures performance. God measures who you are. Do you understand? In God's sight, you are who you are, whether you do or you don't. Let me rephrase that. In God's sight, being precedes doing. Not the other way around. Man tries to do so that he can be. But God says, you are, therefore you do. Do you get that? Do you understand? Man tries to do so that he can be. I will do good so that I will be good. But God says, no, you are good, so be good. So do good. Do you get that? Do you understand? He says, for the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did, by which we draw nigh unto God. Next verse. And inasmuch as not without an oath he was made a priest. Next verse. For those priests were made without an oath, but this with an oath by him that said unto him, The Lord swear and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So what he's saying here is this. The Lord will never go back on his decision. Alright? To call you righteous based on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Listen. Why did the Lord do away with the Old Testament? He never said he was going to keep it. But God has said he will keep this one. He said he swear with an oath. In chapter 6, he says, By two immutable things by which God cannot lie. His, pers- his name and his word. He swore with an oath. Do you understand? Next verse. By so much was Jesus a surety of a better testament. This is the point of everything you have been reading. Jesus has made, what does he mean by surety? A guarantee, a guarantor. Do you understand? When you go to get a job, they ask you to bring a guarantor. What's the job of the guarantor? The guarantor is to say that this person is everything he says he is. Do you understand? And if this person should defraud you, I will pay. When the Bible says Jesus was made a surety of a better testament, when God promised you endless life, Jesus is that assurance. God says, look to Christ. Everyone that looks to him has my promise. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So therefore, your faith must never be in your works. Listen. You know this. You've heard it before. But there are times in your life when you deviate from it. There are times in your life when you do something that is not so good and you turn away from God a little bit. Sometimes in your life, you want to ask God for things and you check yourself. Have I done any bad thing this week? Raise your hand if that happens to you. Stop it. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Your faith must never be in your ability. It must never be in your works. 
If you catch yourself asking yourself questions in times of bad, when things are not working out fine for you, start asking yourself, did I do anything wrong? You've missed the point. The devil has successfully gotten your mind. Why is God letting this happen to me? Have I done anything wrong? You've missed the point. Praise the Lord. You have a better testament. There's a better covenant that God has made with you. Under the old covenant, Exodus chapter 19 verse 6, God says, if you will hearken to my commandments and keep my covenants, I will be your God and you will be my people. The problem with that covenant is that God will not be their God until they keep his commandments. Do you understand? But under the new covenant is different. For you are a chosen generation, a holy priest with a royal nation. You have been called forth to show the praises of him. So, in the first, God said, okay, do so that you can be. But now God is saying, Mm-mm, I knew that wasn't going to work. I've called you, so now you can do. Do you understand? Your activities come from a place of knowing that God has put in you the ability to do them. Not the other way around. And they truly were many priests because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. Do you see? Put this up in the NIV so that we understand. KGV can confuse you. Look at this. Everybody read one to go. Now, there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. Next verse. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Woo! Because he lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. So, the other high priest, whatever his name was, high priest Tunde, he offered sacrifices on my behalf. I was okay while he was alive. He died. His priesthood has finished. Another person is coming in. I have to renew. <laughs> but because Jesus lives forever, I don't have to renew. Do you understand? The forgiveness of sins he gave me before is still valid till today. It's still valid till tomorrow. Which means I don't have to come before him every day to say, I'm so sorry. That please accept my offering of forgiveness. Forgive No, I don't have to. Praise the Lord. Next verse. Therefore, he is, wow. Everybody read verse 25, wants to go. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Listen, when he says he's able to save completely, the Greek word is that he's able to save to the uttermost. That means he's able to save more exceedingly than they need to be saved. Think about that. He's able, like, he will give you salvation and you don't know what to do with it. <laughs> He's able to save completely. Oh. Oh. God is able to save me completely. Because he lives forever. And listen, when he says because he always lives to intercede for them. No, it does not mean that Jesus is not standing beside God whispering in his ear. Please now, help my guy, I beg. <laughs> no. What it means that his life is the intercession for you. Listen, his life is the reason God does not condemn you. Do you understand? His life, his, the fact that he's alive is your intercession. Oh, glory to God. 
he is able to save completely those who come to God through him. All those other people who are trying to go to God through the high priest, through the, um, the high priest under the Levites, they were not able to save them completely. Why? Because this high priest will die. But Jesus lives forever. Do you see that? He lives forever. So the Bible says, see, he has done it. He has finished. He has sat down. Your salvation is complete. Do you understand? Your salvation is complete. Such a high priest meets our need. One who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Next verse. Last verse. Unlike the other high priest, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins how many times? How many times? Once for all when he offered himself. Listen to me. It is a lie or a deception that you can just go and tell God, please now forgive me. And he will forgive you. I hope you know that that's not how it worked under the Old Testament. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 8, the next chapter we're going to talk about, that without the shedding of blood, there was no forgiveness of sins. So every forgiveness of sin under the Old Testament, there was an animal to be killed. Do you understand? They did not just go and say, Ah, forgive me, oh, I've done bad, oh. Eh? Just go and talk like that. <laughs> Do you know that the fact that you can just talk like that, just means that you don't need to ask for forgiveness. <laughs> because before, you know, Fito, even the high priest gone. Let me tell you how the high priest used to carry the sin offering into the Holy of Holies. So he would carry it from the outer court and then they would tie a bell to his leg with rope. Like a long rope, then they would tie a bell so that he would be moving and they'll be hearing the team moving so that they'll be sure that he's alive. Because you can die inside the Holy of Holies. The wrath of God can smite you. So when they don't hear the bell again after a while, uh, we need new high priest too. <laughs> they will not take the rope and pull him out. You now just want to go and say, God, forgive me. Some people, some people don't even take, they don't even stop to say, God, forgive me. It's, ah, God, forgive me, God, forgive me. God, forgive me. <laughs> and then you are moving on to the next thing. You don't understand. <laughs> there was no forgiveness of sins without sacrifice. Do you understand? So when Jesus sacrificed himself once for all, he offered himself one time for all those sins that he would commit. That forgiveness came just that one time. Do you understand? Listen, there is no other sacrifice on which you will say, God forgive me. Because the sacrifice that he offered that time has taken care of everything. Do you understand? Listen, think about it. Before you were born, Jesus had already died. Is that true? Which means that his sacrifice before you were born was already taking care of sins before you were born. Is that correct? So what is it about your life now that makes you think that it has now become different? Praise the Lord. One time. Once for all time. Once for all time. Praise the Lord. Ah, so there was this brother in Christ. He was very fervent in the Lord. But one day he was angry. He said some things and he did not ask God to forgive him. So as he was crossing the road, a car hit him. <laughs> got to heaven expecting to be welcomed with an ovation. But the angel said to him, 
you do not live a pure life. Go to hell. Eh? It's a lie. <laughs> do you know that? Do you know that if I go to heaven and then there's an angel telling me go to hell, I say, ah, you don't understand. <laughs> like you don't know what's going on. <laughs> I should go where? I'll tell the angel, get the behind me, Satan. Because <laughs> you cannot be of God. God cannot have lied to be all this while. <laughs> Do you understand what I'm saying? Listen, have some assurance in God's work in your life. Right, listen to what I'm saying. Have assurance. He has saved once for all time. Once for all time. Praise the Lord. So the point of Hebrews 7 is to establish that because Jesus is resurrected, because he lives forever, we can have an assurance of salvation. Praise the Lord. So look at it. This man is writing to a group of people who are living in doubt. Just look at who. And his message to a group of people who are living in doubt is that there is salvation for you forever. You are saved forever. If we were following the rhetoric of those people who say things like, are you not giving people license to sin? Wouldn't, be the, wouldn't this be the worst license to sin ever given to anybody? Think about it. These people already don't believe. You now want to get them to believe. And what you are telling them is, see, your sin cannot take you to hell. <laughs> you must be a very terrible preacher. Or you must be saying the truth. Do you understand what I'm saying? A lot of people will say, Pastor, why are you always preaching assurance of salvation? Are you not giving people license to sin? Do people need license to sin? Please let me ask you. Do people need license to sin? Do people go to government to queue up to collect license to tell lies? People don't need license to sin. Assurance of salvation is never a license to sin. Can never be. Rather, it is an assurance that you have that power over sin. Listen, what did God or what did Jesus die to save us from? He died to save us from sin and its effects. Do you understand? Now, if there's an assurance that you are saved, saved from, you are saved from sin and its effects. So when I'm giving you an assurance that you are saved from sin, you are no longer under the slavery of sin, what I'm telling you invariably is that you have the power to live above sin. Do you understand? So as a believer, make sure you learn every day to preach this gospel to yourself. Amen. Amen. Preach this gospel to yourself. Nobody is above it. Every day. He has saved me once for all time. His his death on the cross was enough for all my sins. Look at Paul, a murderer. Oh, wow. Many times, I don't know if we ever think about the extent of God's grace. Not only did God save Paul, he called him into ministry. And not only did he call him into ministry, he gave him proof of his ministry. That's grace. That's grace. Because to be very honest, if to say, Nami be God, on that road to Damascus, that's where you die. You die there. 
Do you know what Paul was going to Damascus to do? Paul had gone to the high priest to go and collect a letter, permission, to go and kill the Christians in Damascus. That's to say, I don't like these people, but I need, I need to kill them legally. <laughs> so, he went to collect a letter, sign it, signed management. You people will die. <laughs> he was on his road to go and kill when Jesus accosted him. Listen, you might not know it now, but there's nothing you can ever do that is outside of the scope of the grace of God. In fact, the Bible says where your sin abides, his grace abides much more. Why? It's not, it's not, too, it's not too hard to think of. A man who thinks he's pure does not understand that God's grace has worked for him. A man who grew up being a goody two shoes, the worst thing he ever did was tell a lie, does not think that God's grace is there for him. He doesn't really think he needs it. But when you see somebody who was a murderer and a rapist, grace abounds much more for him. Do you understand? Because there's more forgiveness for him. And this is not a mood swing for God. God did not just wake up one day and say, "You know how your grand, your your mother, uh, uh, I to say, you know how your mother." For those of you that have older siblings and now have children, so your parents are now grandparents. You must have noticed this, your, or you have a last born that just came when you were chinchilly, like you have grown. That's the one tiny thing. You not realize that when you were younger, it was war in your house. You talk anyhow, they wipe you. You say rubbish, they flog your life. But now this young thing <laughs> is doing rubbish anyhow in the house. And what is, stop it now. They've changed. They say, you know now, that's how God is. He was with the Israelites, but now, you know he's now older, so he's now softer. It's not the season of grace. It's not true. God has always been like this. God has always been this way. Think of it. God, ah, uh, yeah. Who should Israel? Something was wrong with them. <laughs> God led, ah. Let's not start from the, see, let's start from where Moses went to Egypt and the ten plagues. God back to back showed them ten things that were impossible by natural happening. Just to release them. Do you know what it means that the river Nile turned to blood? Just imagine that you are standing in front of the beach one day. And before your very eyes, the thing just starts to turn to blood. Oh, mommy, I will run. <laughs> I will travel out. <laughs> because I don't... Uh-uh. The entire river turned to blood. Just because God wanted these people to go. Think about the fact that... Huh, one night, you just start hearing cries. The enti- Egypt was divided into two. Where the Israelites were and where the Egyptians were. And in the camp of the Egyptians, you just start hearing cries. Ah, what happened? My firstborn has died. Your firstborn died. This one's firstborn died. This one's firstborn died. But us on our own side, nothing happened to us. We'll do Thanksgiving on Sunday. Then, when you now finish, God said, Oh, yeah, Pharaoh said, Oh, yeah, people should go. You go to the river. It was. It was standing in front of you. There was a host of army coming behind you. And you're like, God, you brought us here to die. You know that's what they said. 
They said, God, you brought us here to die. Like, you, all the ten things you did in Egypt, and after killing all the firstborn children, you actually brought us here to die. God told Moses, split the river into two. The Bible said a wind came. Maybe, you, I, don't, I have a very, very active imagination. It's not like God says split the river into two, then it's just the a wind came and drove it, split it in two. The Hebrew, the original text, all right, connotes that it congealed on both sides. Not that it just split in two, it, con- it froze. Ha. Say power. <laughs> it froze on both sides and you walked on dry land across. You entered into the wilderness. There was no food to eat. Did, wait, before there was no food. There was no They were thirsty. They saw a river, but it was bitter. They turned to Moses. He brought us here to die. Do you know? They actually said to Moses that it would have been better for us to die in Egypt. Hey. Hey. And God was hearing all this thing. If it's you, don't lie. What will you do? It's... <laughs> You are gone. <laughs> you are gone, no. Moses, God said to Moses, take this tree, put it inside the water. The water became sweet. They drank. Two months after, they were hungry. The food they brought from Egypt had finished. They did not remember that when they were thirsty, God gave them water to drink. They turned to Moses. Moses, we will kill you. Before you kill us, we will kill you. <laughs> because Moses went to go and meet God. And please, if you want to kill me, Moses said to God, these people want to kill me. Help us. God said, okay, I will bring what, I will rain manna from heaven. Then God said, this is how it will happen. Monday to Friday, I will rain manna. You go out every morning, you eat. Don't try to keep it overnight. If you keep it overnight, it will spoil. But on Saturday, it will rain two times the portion so that you will collect two times the portion so that on the Sabbath day, Sunday, you will not go out. And guess who went out on Sunday to go and pick up manna? The Israelites. <laughs> those people. When Jesus said Moses gave you those laws because of the hardness of your heart, it was not a lie. Those people, their hearts were hardened. And in the wilderness, you see an expression of God's grace repeatedly. Listen, in Ezekiel and in, Jer- in Jeremiah, God says, I will, put, I will give you a new covenant. It will not be like the first covenant that I gave them. A covenant that I kept even though they broke it. So when God gave them the Old Testament, he said, if you keep my commands, I will be your God and you will be my people, right? He neither kept his commands nor his laws, but he was still their God. That's grace. So when you come to the New Testament and you see God being so benevolent, it's not, a, it's not that his, his period was over, so now he's now settled. <laughs> It wasn't a mood swing. Do you understand? It's a consistent revelation of who he is. You can bank on God's goodness. Do you understand? It's the first, it should be your first response in times of crisis. God is good. I will not allow my mind shift from that fact. Praise the Lord. 